0: Pete, you can cut all that out cuz we don't need to hear about my medical past. Even it, 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 it. <laughs> no! <laughs>
1: You are listening to love ya your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen film and rom-coms i am one of your co-hosts martha sullivan adult services library manager and uh ya lit why marin why is it always impossible for me to remember (laughs) what i want to put there
0: (laughs) i feel like you usually say expert
1: or appreciator. I feel like I always want to say appreciator, but that never sounds correct. Um, YA lit appreciator and so-called expert. Um, although the further away I get from actually being in the teen services mind, the less YA I'm I'm reading. Just a little little sad. Um, but I am joined, as always, by my co-host, who you have already heard just a little bit.
0: <laughs> I'm Maren Hagman, adult services librarian and... Rom-com enthusiast, Uh, and we are here
1: once again to discuss a romantic comedy available to you on one of the many streaming platform options that we have available to us. We are here to talk about the 2008 Ricky Gervais vehicle, Ghost Town. And I I think it is my turn to give the synopsis for this movie. I think so. I think I did the hocus-pocus synopsis. Yes. Uh, So, Ghost Town was written and directed by David Cope? Cop? Kep? Who knows? Uh, Who we all know from his work on Secret Window, Stir of Echoes. This guy went from thriller horror to ghost town. That is an interesting little jump there. He also has a writing credit on the 2017 The Mummy. Uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Inferno, based on the uh, Da Vinci, Dan Brown book. Um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, before we get into the synopsis, Maren, I, I think that we should both keep in mind that the writer and director of this movie has exactly one romantic comedy to his name, and it is this movie. I,
0: I would also mention, um, I, I think we, we must also emphasize that he co-wrote Jurassic Park and Mission Impossible. So, like, this guy has not been near a rom-com.
1: He did. He does have a writing credit on Death Becomes Her, which is almost a
0: rom com. Mm, I did just listen to the Blank Jackson podcast on Death Becomes Her, and I I don't know.
1: I, I don't think, think it is. I I think well, it I. has
0: been. I think it it, it has become a queer rom com in retrospect. I do not think it was intended to be a rom com. Um, no, I think
1: it's revenge comedy.
0: Exactly. Oh, well, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I think this. Oh, okay. I have a thesis. I think my thesis about this film is correct. But before we get into that, um, let, us, let us talk about oh,
1: Frank. Yes. So, Ghost Town stars Greg Kinnear as Frank, Taylor as Gwen, and Ricky Gervais as Bertram. Because they really want you to know that he's British. <laughs> um, so, the, so, Greg Kinnear plays Frank, who at the opening of this movie is talking to uh, his wife about a call from a realtor that she got that confused her because he was renting an apartment for his mistress uh, and got found out a little bit. Um, But then he dies by being hit by a
0: falling air conditioner uh, and nothing of value was lost. Uh, So he, Um, small, small side note, just because I think it is actually one of the few very funny moments in the movie. He, the air conditioner misses him and then he gets hit by a bus. That's correct. Sorry. No, and the only reason I bring that up is it it is echoed later. But um, he he deserved the air conditioner. That air conditioner could have fallen on him. He didn't deserve the bus. Um,
1: so he becomes a ghost, Uh, and then we meet Ricky Gervais, who plays Bertram Pincus, who is a dentist and who is also a jerk. Um. He is he undergoes a minor procedure, which he elects to undergo under general anesthetic. And we find out that while he is on the operating table, he technically died for seven minutes, which leaves him with the dubious ability of being able to see and talk to ghosts like Greg Kinnear. Uh, Turns out people are ghosts when they have unfinished business. So they all see in Bertram the opportunity to help them finish their business and thus lay themselves to rest. Frank's finished, unfinished business is, has to do with his wife, Gwen, played by Taya Leone. Uh, and he recruits Bertram to help him prevent Gwen from marrying a dude whose name I have already forgotten because Frank thinks that he is only using Gwen for her money. Gwen is an archaeologist or anthropologist of some sort who is, as is per usual in these kind of movies, far too interesting for all of the men who are surrounding her. Uh, She meets Bertram, who the two of them strike up a friendship, which gets derailed. The more shenanigans uh, Bertram engages with in an attempt to separate Gwen from her fiancé. The whole movie culminates in a series of scenes where he tries to convince her that he is, um, has been sent by the ghost of her dead husband in order to, uh, make her life better. Um, at some point he gets hit by a bus, which is what allows Gwen to realize her true feelings for her, for him. Uh, and, At the end of the movie, she does not end up taking a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go study tombs in Cairo so that she can stick around New York and date a dentist. Who we are also supposed to understand becomes a better person through helping these ghosts uh, finish their business and lay themselves to rest. The end. Woof. Uh, So the first thing I just want to tell you right off the bat is that when this movie started, I exited Amazon so that I could double check to make sure that I was watching the correct movie. Because I was like, the movie I'm supposed to watch is stars Ricky Gervais, not Greg Kinnear. What's happening here? (laughs) Uh, Because I knew exactly nothing about this movie before we started watching it. Or before we decided to watch it.
0: Yeah. And and readers, to sort of fill you in on the history of, I have a very distinct memory of riding the bus in college to go see this film at the local mall and being the third or fourth wheel on a date with my college roommate and her, I believe now, husband. Um, and I remembered this movie quite fondly. Um So, I don't know, 19-year-old Marin, jeez. Um, Yeah, so I did remember, I I did remember that Greg Kinnear was quite a big part of it, but I didn't remember quite how much, Um, and honestly, okay, well, let's start with this. Let me, let's start with, like, the few things out of this movie I really did enjoy, because I'm not going to pretend that this movie didn't make me laugh at points, because it definitely did. Um... Like I said prime moment, the great can you're getting hit by a bus like they did a very nice gag of you think he's gonna get hit by this air conditioning window and there's this very sweet couple being very stressed about putting in this air conditioning unit um and he misses the air conditioning unit and gets hit by a bus i I thought that was a pretty funny fake out um I laughed i I laughed that that one got me that was a good one um I also. Um, what was the other, there were a couple other scenes that, like, really made me laugh. I did actually, Kristen, this is one of Kristen Wiig's first, (laughs) first movie appearance, and she is great. She plays the doctor that, um, he accidentally dies, having a procedure, um, with, and she's hilarious, and there's a scene where, like, the, the, like, hospital lawyer is, like, trying to like mince the words so that Ricky Gervais doesn't sue them um yeah she was great
1: yes I enjoyed Kristen Wiig I enjoyed the hospital doctor
0: yeah they were great um all those scenes were great so yeah all the hospital stuff was really good um I also I liked a lot of the ghosts I thought a lot of the ghosts not Greg Kinnear were great I, like, loved all the bits with, um, the older lady ghost trying to mediate the dispute with her daughter. I thought she was really funny. Um, I really liked the naked ghost gag. I thought that was very funny. Um. I liked
1: the construction workers.
0: I Oh, the construction workers were so sweet! And the dad with his son's, like, plushy toy. Yes. Oh. Yes. So, like, here's, here's
1: Problem with this movie: all of the non-romantic comedy parts are pretty great. Right, right? or rather, all all of the non-romance parts. So, the comedy parts, <laughs> the comedy part of this romantic comedy, wasn't was enjoyable. Also, I just want to take a moment to point out the good, good work, and I'm sure this will not be the last time we uh, mention it. But the good, good work that my queen Taya Leone, is doing in this movie—oh, uh, yes—who
0: I truly believe is better than this movie deserved. Absolutely, her uh, and her and Kristen Wiig and Asif Mandvi deserve like way better than this movie. Who, sidebar, um, is
1: in a show that I have started watching on Netflix called Evil, mm. and. I started watching it after we watched this movie, and as soon as he came on the screen, I was like, I know that guy. Aww. Um So, in case we were wondering if he is getting
0: work, he is. Good. And he as is he great. Sh- as he should. Um, so, Martha, I think your point leads very nicely into what I think my thesis for this movie is, and I think why this movie has a, what is it, like, on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a movie for people who... This is a rom-com for people who hate rom-coms. And... I think that it is a movie that thinks it's so much smarter than a rom-com. That it, like... It's trying to wink and cynic its way into this romance. And... It just falls flat. Like, why do they need... They don't even need to have the romance at all. What if the point is, like, Ricky Gervais just becomes a better person and they're friends? Like, this really feels like a movie where they had an interesting comedic premise. They decided to shoehorn it into a rom-com, but the people who wrote it were not actually interested in developing a realistic relationship between its two leads It makes me wonder if the
1: studio said, we'll only let you make your Ricky Gervais comedy ghost movie, if we can put Taylor Leone in it and sell it as a rom-com.
0: Exactly. And, like, this is the layout, so, like, rom-coms are are still there, but kind of waning. And I think they were like, yeah, well, rom-coms have enough cachet that, like, we can do it. But, like, the writing of this movie is so just incredibly uneven. And a lot of it feels very
1: like early 90s rom-com like a lot of the kind of gender conventions and the the like the rom-com tools that they're using it feels like somebody watched a lot of like early 90s rom-coms and like i can do this
0: too right and it it what's so bizarre to me is that i was thinking about like huh, okay, well, this is 12 years old, like, putting myself in the context. And I'm like, I don't even think, like, this is like a last gasp of a, like, South Park style, like, we're going to call ourselves funny because we just hate on everyone. And, like, I was like, I don't even think this, like, really passed muster in 2008. Like, just like well, you said like they're going back to these like caricatures
1: part of that is also Ricky Gervais's whole comedic style is kind of be- predicated on the fact
0: that he hates everyone right and i think that that could have worked if a they like again did not use that as a like cudgel of okay well we can have jokes that are racist and misogynistic, because, like, we're just making jokes about everyone. Like, I think there's a way you could do that of, like, yep, he's a grouch, without, like, without just, like, leaning into those, like, outdated stereotypes and, like, calling it edgy. And I think that's, like, a problem with Ricky Gervais's comedic persona and I mean I have no idea what he's up to now but I think that's part of what makes the British office like so cringeworthy to watch nowadays is like yeah that just like I hate everyone comedy is such a product of the odds. and and it's too bad because like there, this is a good premise and like there is genuine like good room for like a story about a grumpy person who learns to be less grumpy. But it, like, shouldn't be through the power of poor Tia Leone's magic vagina when she could be off, like, investigating the Valley of the Kings.
1: Like. God. When she was like, I decided to stick around for a while. I was like, you saw you that is a writing problem that you solved by making the time skip a year later and having her be coming back from Valley of the Kings. Yes, yes,
0: and that was what I remembered happening. And so when I was watching, I was like, wait, what? Like she didn't go. Like I remember. I was like, I remembered her going and then coming back. Probably because I rewrote it in my head <laughs> to make yes, it. that was what exactly (laughs) because it's just so baffling and like too even thinking about like i think there's a really good okay so even thinking about like the richard character her fiance that greg kinnear's ghost hates like i think they had something there about uh yes let's make fun of the white savior industrial complex like i think that there was an opening there and some of those some of that lands because you're like oh yeah like he's that kind of guy but then like ricky gervais's character's response to that is not to be like look at this conceited asshole it's um let me make racist jokes about chinese people like it's just like at those turns they make these choices like they set these things up that could work and then they make these choices that are just Like, so off base. Well, and also,
1: a lot of it just fundamentally makes no sense. Like, she blows up her relationship with her fiancé, who, by the way, we are never shown is anything other than what he says that he is, which is a nice guy who does, like, doctor work for charity.
0: Right, who is, like, maybe slightly pompous and a little self-absorbed. But, like, nothing nefarious. Yeah,
1: so she blows up her relationship so she can go to the Valley of the Kings on this once-in-a-lifetime architectural or anthropological journey, which she then doesn't go on so that she can date Ricky
0: Gervais, who she has known for 12 minutes. Who, Who, by the way, has been nothing but a nasty neighbor to her until, like two days before like they they do they do
1: all of the pre-relationship stuff where it's like oh this is gonna be an enemies to lovers kind of story and then forgot to put in the part where she actually like
0: develops chemistry with him right and again i think this is like where this is a rom-com for people who hate rom-coms because It has all those comedy beats, but it's not actually going to show you the developing relationship. Like, there's not even a friggin' montage. Because it's so uninterested in showing us actually this relationship, like, this romantic relationship. It's so, like, the primary relationship of this movie is Greg Kinnear and Ricky Gervais. (laughs) Ricky Gervais, yes. Like, I don't know, maybe this could be an LGBT ghost romance. Like, that seems more plausible with what they've written. <laughs> like, they spent so much more time with those two. Also,
1: they were trying to get me to feel sorry for Greg Kinnear, and that was just not
0: happening. Yeah, that was... wow. Um, wow. And... To... So yeah, so I I don't understand. So again, another setup that could have worked, and they make an absolutely mind-boggling choice. Like the choice could have been, oh, Greg Kinnear can't go to heaven yet because he realized he treated his wife terribly, and is bringing someone better into her life to like atone. Like that's a good arc. Like I would have been okay with that arc, but the arc is, oh. I, like, I was a complicated person, and marriage is complicated, so I, like, cheated on her, but it's fine. And I'm not even going to, like, express contrition or, like, do anything to make any type of amends. At least even Ricky Gervais was like, so you cheated on your
1: wife, Although then, yeah, Greg Kinnear was like, you've never been married. It's like, well, guess what? I'm married. I don't cheat on my husband.
0: Like, try again. (laughs) Exactly. And and even if they had had to, even if they had tried a, like, humanizing, like, well, it was really, like, I had this going on and this was my issues and, like, that manifested as me cheating and I'm so sorry like he didn't even have that moment. Like that moment I would have given him and been like, "Uh, okay. Well, you still suck." But like they didn't even give him the self-awareness to be like my cheating was my fault and like this is how like this is why it happened and this and like I know it was wrong. Like they like he never has that like self-aware expressing contrition
1: yeah his moment of contrition is i didn't know you knew referring to gwen knowing that he was cheating right like he's more sad about her knowing than the actual cheating and like i i guess that i buy that he's sad that she knew because it made her sad but then it's like bro the easy way for gwen not to be sad is for you to not have had an affair. Right. So cool motives
0: still. <laughs> well, we didn't even get the motive. Like that's the other thing. Like it it wasn't even like yeah, like that's on me. Like this is where I was at like No, he just like cheated cuz he's a canoe. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, we didn't even get, like, yeah, I'm human, and I made mistakes, and this is, you know, this was my mistake, and I regret it deeply, and I wish I could make it up to her, but I'm dead. Like, I wouldn't, like, I would have been here for that moment, and we never got that moment. The moment is, oh, I'm sad she knew. And learned on the day he died. Yes. Like, she had to learn in one fell swoop, like, both that he was dead and that he was cheating. Like, that's, like, there's a memoir that just came out about, like, that story. Like, that is a story that you write, like, 300 pages <laughs> and spend years of therapy untangling. <laughs> like. Yeah, it's nonsense. And I, I think we are just supposed to be, like, oh, well, Grant is so charming that, like, we can overlook that. And it reminds me of, did you ever see... I'm pretty sure that's Greg Kinnear. Um, it's a movie. Yes, it is. Okay. It's a movie with Ashley Judd and, um, Hugh Jackman. It's called Someone Like You. I have heard of it. I have not seen it. Okay. We will, maybe I'll put that on, like, a long list of sometime. It'd be worth watching. Um, and... Yeah, basically, like, between that and, like, You've Got male, like, Greg Kinnear is supposed to have this, like, charming, like, archetype. And I think we're just supposed to be okay with him because, oh, it's Greg Kinnear and he's so charming. Blech. Blech. So,
1: you know what the montage was that this movie needed and did not give us? What's that? we needed a montage of Ricky Gervais working with Tay Leone on like a dozen different mummy teeth.
0: Oh yeah. Cause we only got that one scene. And if we had had more of that, yes, I am with you. Yes. And I actually, I really
1: liked that moment between the two of them. So listener, what happens is that the first time that Ricky Gervais sees Taylor Leone, she's giving a lecture on, Um, a mummy that she's been helping kind of study and make determinations about. And he makes an observation to her about the mummy's teeth, which would help pinpoint like cause of death, age of the, um, the mummy when they died, like all of the stuff that she had never thought of before. So she asks him to come to the lab to take a look at him. And he goes and is able to point out how an abscess in one of the mummy's teeth was probably the cause of death, which was a really cool, just little factoid. Um, But then she invites him to a museum. She invites him to the opening of the exhibit that's being kind of spearheaded by these, by this mummy. And the pacing in this movie is already very strange. Like a lot of stuff happens in a very short amount of time, which is part of why I had trouble believing the development of the relationship between Ricky Gervais and Taylor Leone. And all of that gets solved in like a three minute montage of him, like coming down to the lab a lot to yeah. look at multiple mummies to talk about like their teeth and study them and,
0: you know, set it to some cute early aughts, music.
1: I mean, um, it could
0: be like the romance montage to end all romance montages of 13 going on 30. Like, get some Lish Far in there. But also, you
1: know, they could have shown, like, little moments of him trying to decide what to wear and Greg Kinnear, like, laughing at him or helping him make choices like that. Like, th- there were a lot of opportunities for character development in that space that I feel like they could have developed without um, adding
0: too much time to the runtime totally especially considering that end montage of him helping the ghosts really works like that is a scene that really works in the movie and Which it's just, is just it's such a sweet scene and and so I think you're totally right that like it it really shows like how much more this movie is invested in like the comedy than the relationship that like, they put that amount of care and detail and like, a really uh, affecting scene. And um, didn't bother to do that for the development of the main relationship.
1: Also, for me, by far the most interesting part of this movie was Tay
0: Leone's job. So, Martha, I don't know if you know this about me, but, like on my list of things i am scared of uh mummies are on the top really like i cannot go to an egyptology exhibit um really yeah i like (laughs) mummies haunt my nightmares like literally like i and luckily i remembered when to look away Because I, like, I remembered, I was like, oh, yeah, there are mummies in this movie. And so, like, I kind of remembered the moments to look away, and I just, like, looked away and listened. But, um, yeah, that was. But the fact that, like, yeah, she does something so interesting and unique, um, even if it freaks me the absolute most out. (laughs) This is incredible. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, uh. Good idea. Oh, yeah. No, like, I can't. Like, we go to the Field Museum, can't go to the Egypt exhibits. Pete got me into, like, one of the Egypt rooms by, like, scouting out where the sarcophagi were. And he was like, okay. He was very sweet. He was like, okay, we can go to, like, this part and we can see the non sarcophagi Egypt things. But, yeah, every time I've gotten to the British Museum, you have to go through the sarcophaguses to get to the Elgin marbles and stuff. And I just, like, book it. Maren, they're dead. <laughs> I know, but they're so creepy looking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I watched a his. Okay, there's a backstory to this. I watched a History Channel documentary when I was nine about Ramses the second, and it was right before I went to bed. And so the last thing I saw on the TV was a pa- picture of Ramsey's unwrapped mummy and, like, I have had nightmares about it ever since. I guess, I mean, they are definitely creepy looking. Yeah. it. I I don't know what it is. I just, I, I cannot. Yep. So you've, nope. never seen, you've never seen The Mummy with Brendan Fraser? I have. I had some very sweet friends in high school who I was like, okay. So I need you to tell me, because, and what they said, and what I think turned out to be right, is really you only see him as a mummy in, like, the first few minutes, and then again at the very end. So I was like, okay, guys. Like, guys, you just gotta tell me, like, when it's gonna happen. And they did, and so I was okay with it. Okay. I've not seen the mummy returns, or the, I mean, for other reasons, I have not seen the, the newer one with... Tom Cruise and Maria Bello, but yeah, no, that one's that one's garbage. Yeah, um, the Mummy
1: Returns is pretty great, and also I don't think it actually includes any mummies. Oh,
0: okay, okay. I did not know that. I that makes me more inclined to watch it. Yeah, it's I. I would have to check, um, but I. I don't
1: think we actually see any scenes of the the titular mummy as a mummy. Okay, I don't think.
0: Okay, I can maybe do that then. But yeah, it is, It is like, number one top of my list. Like, I don't like spiders very much. Like, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of being in closed spaces. I've got, like, a little touch of the claustrophobia. But yeah, mummies. Yep, nope, it's just, it's, it's a no-go for me. I just cannot. Yep, nope, that's a big note for me. What
1: about giant dogs? Giant dogs? Wait. Like, Leone's giant dog. Oh, I
0: love a big dog!
1: I loved her dog.
0: Her dog was so sweet! I was
1: like, oh, I just want to pet you! That was kind of a moment where I was like, I don't understand. Like, why? Why is this dog here?
0: I'm not complaining. But... Did kind of come out of left field. And, okay, again, like, I feel like I'm, like, making this argument a bunch because I feel like it fits. Like, okay, another choice where it was like, oh, this could have actually been a sweet moment of, like, he is nice to her dog. And the other dude, like, kind of dismisses dog. And, like, her dog is kind of wacky. And, yeah. And instead they just are, like, show him for, like, two minutes and then we never see the dog again. Well,
1: she does have that one scene where she's brushing the dog's teeth. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're totally right. Yep. Which is very cute. But also, I had no idea what that scene was supposed to accomplish.
0: Right. Like, were we supposed to see, like, oh, yeah, she's, like, moving on with her life. Or, like. Like, they could have. That could have been part of the montage. Him hanging out with her dog. That's a great way to a lady's heart like I'm being yes. nice to your dog. Like it was right there. We don't even fully establish that Ricky
1: Gervais doesn't like the dog. Like he has a moment where he doesn't like the dog's breath, but honestly who likes dog breath? Yeah. So usually usually when you have a a giant dog like that in a rom-com, part of the like part of the way that we know that the relationship is working is that one of the 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 person in the relationship who does not have the dog doesn't like the dog and then eventually comes around to liking the dog and that is frequently used as shorthand as to like, oh, they are, you know, getting to know each other or their chemistries increasing or whatever and in here we just have a beautiful Great Dane
0: who serves no function except to be beautiful <laughs> and like maybe show us, like, I think, it, I think it's supposed to show us that, like, her fiancé is, like, stuffy, that he, like, can't deal with this dog. But again, then they don't, like, take the natural next step like you're talking about of, oh, like, this can be a great way to show their bonding. And, like, even in an enemies to lovers trope, I've seen, and I can't think of, oh, what the name of the book is off the top of my head, but I feel like I've seen... In that trope it used of like, oh, like, we're fi- we're bickering, we're fighting, but they're still good to my animal. Like, it's a good stand-in for, like, they're a good human, even if, like, we're fighting about something. You know, like, it's just a quick and easy shorthand for, oh, there's, like, good to this person. They're good at taking care of an animal, you know? Do we even see her fiancé act anyway towards this dog? Um, well, she won't bring him out until he's in the other room, and I think she mentioned something about, like, yeah, he doesn't like having the dog around because the dog breath is so bad, and then, like, Razor Base is like, yeah, the dog breath is pretty bad. Um, so I think she does mention, like, I, I, the vibe I got was, like, fiancé does not want to be around the dog. Okay, well, they needed to work harder for that one. Oh, totally. Like, they could have made that much clearer. And again, like, another one of those, like, they had teed up this, like, great, like, all right, like, let's, you know, do a little, like, make fun of, like, a stuffy dude who, like, is part of the white savior industrial complex. And just don't go for it. Yeah, I did not care for this movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I am more mad at the fact that there are, like, this movie really could have worked with a few strategic changes. And, like, the premise is actually very good. And so I think that makes me more mad. That, like, the bones are there. I can see this being a good movie. And, again, I I think what it tried to be is a movie for people who actually hate rom-coms. And, like, that makes me madder than anything when people, like, try to take the trappings of a rom-com. Okay, sorry. Back up. Does not make me madder than anything. But, like, it upsets me when films when films try to take the trappings of a rom-com and then, like, denigrate the genre or refuse to, like, actually deliver on, like, what a rom-com is supposed to be. This is why... 500 days of summer is one of my least favorite movies ever well
1: and see i i disagree with you to a certain extent i think it is possible to deconstruct a genre like this as long as you are um like as as long as you're doing it for a purpose like i enjoy 500 days of summer because i i like the way that it um asks us to kind of examine the presumptions that we tend to make when we are watching a rom-com like i i found that to be very effective but this movie is just it's a it's this movie is making fun of people who like rom-coms in a way that makes me uncomfortable like it's it's a little bit saying it it, it's almost wants to be like rom-com satire Except it doesn't fully commit to that idea either.
0: Oh, and there—did you ever see that movie? They came together, which like is a straight up rom com satire. Is that the one with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd? It makes me so mad. Yes, <laughs> yes. It
1: I is. watched. I watched twelve. I watched. Exa- normally, I use twelve seconds or twelve minutes as an exaggeration. I watched about exactly twelve minutes of that movie before I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Um. And again, I'm not opposed to the idea of deconstructing what a rom com is, or what that looks like, or what romance or a happy ending looks like for certain people. You know, I think Five Hundred Days of Summer is kind of asking us, like, is it fair of what's his name to have put these expectations on Do- Zoe Deschanel? And I think that that is a fair
0: question I for don't... a romance to ask. That's, but it's, think... but then it can't be a rom com anymore is one of my big contentions. is like, sure, it can be like deconstructing that. It can be like a, a dramedy, but you can't call that a rom-com. Like that is not a rom-com. That has left the building. Um, and that's where I get really mad is because then it breaks like the central pact with rom-com viewers. And I don't think this is true of, I would say, any other genre. This is an argument I have specifically to rom-coms is like, the central pledge that a rom-com makes to its viewer is that it is going to be a romantic about a romantic relationship that ends happily. Like that is it. That is the pledge. And when movies try to play around with that or break that, that makes me very angry. Well, and then I guess my my supposition to you
1: would be that if a rom-com practice if a rom-com promises a happily ever after, does it have to be between our two leads. Because what 500 Days of Summer gives us is a happily ever after, just not for what's-his-name.
0: It's not a rom-com. That is not a rom-com, then. That's fine. Like, make that movie. That's great. That's not a rom-com. A rom-com is literally... Because, and this is my argument, there are plenty of other film genres to show relationships that don't work out. The, rom- the, the genre of rom-com is specifically to show a romantic relationship that works out. And I I think that because there's so many other avenues to show unhappy relationships or movies where yeah, the romance doesn't work out and that's a good thing for characters, great. Make those movies. Those aren't rom-coms. I don't disagree.
1: I guess I find it a little sad that the genre doesn't have room to examine what makes it that genre.
0: I think that then it becomes another genre. I think that because rom-coms, and, and and to me this also goes back to, like, dialogues that happen about romance novels, is that it's because though that, like, critique of the genre can happen somewhere else, but if you mislead your viewers that, like, this is what this is. So, like, for example, the movie Last Christmas is another really good example. I like romance novel romance novel twitter like blew up because well and to be fair everyone kind of saw it happening because like if you go into this movie like thinking like oh great this is going to be like an escapist experience that like is showing me a happy relationship and then it doesn't deliver on that like then you can't call yourself a rom-com. You can call yourself something else. But I think that there is a, there's a place for that, but we also really need to be clear and set clear expectations for viewers and readers so they're not misled. Uh, because I think people go into wanting to watch a rom-com and wanting to read a romance novel with both clear expectations and a clear goal. And I think it would be like having a scary movie with no ghosts in it. Like... You make a pact with your viewer and your reader when you're working in that genre. And if you're deconstructing it, call yourself something else. Like, do that. Great. But just because, and I think it's the nature of that genre, very specifically. And I don't think it's true with other genres. Sorry, that's like my TED Talk. <laughs> of yeah, that's okay. of I just, why I-, I hate 500 Days of Summer so much. <laughs>
1: I'm trying to find the words to I just I, I feel very strongly that no matter what genre of entertainment that you're talking about, there has to be room in it for self-reflection and examination, because otherwise, the genre stagnates. and i I understand I understand what you're saying when you say that people have people deserve to get what they're expecting when they read a romantic comedy, but I also feel like if the, if the genre is not accepting of experimental writing or is not accepting of, um, like critical examination, I think you run the risk of extinction
0: almost. I, but I think that's the magic I would counter with. I think that's the magic of the rom-com and the magic of the romance novel is like people find ways to take that formula and make it fresh and make it new and make it interesting. And that's probably why we saw, like, the rom-com genre, like, really transition from mid-budget films to indie movies in the early 2010s. Um, and I, I, I think that is the, the strength and the unique, like, magic of both the rom-com genre and romance novels. I don't know. That doesn't sound
1: super unique to me. <laughs> if if what you're doing is catering to a certain set of expectations every time you sit down to write a novel, like that, I don't know. I if if you don't have room for um, if you don't have room for people to ask, like, why do we expect these things, and what do we do if we don't get them? I don't know that that's hard for me to buy into like as something to enjoy and I guess I would
0: just say that that's what other genres are there for like it, I, I don't think anyone is saying don't write a book about a romantic relationship don't make a movie about a romantic relationship that doesn't work out there's plenty of space for that it's just the way and I think that's like part of what the label like dramedy is so great for Um, And see, for me, dramedy, like, doesn't mean anything. Oh, okay. Fair enough. (laughs) But, like, to me, like, that's why, like, books about relationships that, a romantic relationship that don't work out are just called fiction. And films about romantic relationships that don't work out are dramas or dramedies. Like, or just even a straight-up comedy. It just, like, there's just a specific connotation to the genre Romantic comedy and romance novel, and I I think there are there's plenty of room in other with other labels. I think it I think I'm you're talking about like a certain type of art existing, and I think I'm talking about the specific genre label. So I think that's where our like disconnect is happening. I guess.
1: I would say that our disconnect is happening rather in the fact that I think there should be room for the genre to critique itself. And you are saying, and I don't mean that, I do not mean this in a um, derogatory or inflammatory way, um, but you are saying that as soon as it does that, it is no longer
0: the genre that it starts at starts as. Uh, I mean, I think I'm saying that there are ways to critique and like reimagine what romance novels and rom-coms are without changing the basic premise and that those works of art that are asking us to question like how we romanticize things or we like view romance in different ways belong in other genres and i'm saying there's room for that art um I just feel very strongly that the genre rom-com and the the genre romance novel are really meant to be a a space with the two rules of it's about a romantic relationship, one, and two, that relationship works out.
1: So, I mean, under, by that criteria, Ghost Story is more of a rom-com than um, 500 Days of Summer is.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would never call 500 Days of Summer a rom-com. But I think people, I think it gave itself the trappings of a rom-com, and it marketed itself as a rom-com, but wasn't one. Oh, I disagree. (laughs) Oh, eh. I mean, I will say, I feel like I was misled going into, I don't know if I saw it in a movie theater or rented it, but I just remember being very angry based on, like, the trailer I saw, and I I probably, to my own fault, did not, like, read the reviews like I should have, but... I feel like it marketed itself that way and me as a viewer of rom-coms was very but, angry. And we've
1: gotten way off topic, but I yeah. think that that's <laughs> I think that that's the point of that movie. Like I think that what it sets out to do is to ask you to re is to ask you to examine your expectations and to decide whether or not you can still find a satisfying ending here even though it didn't do exactly what you wanted it to because at the end of the day We still have two people that get to go away happy. They just don't get to do it with each other.
0: Yeah. And again, I think that that's fine. And I think that we need to call that a different genre. Like, sure. Like, there's space for that story.
1: But I think that part of the point of 500 Days of Summer is that you expected it to be a rom-com. Because so did Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I finally remembered his name. (laughs) Um I don't think that that movie would have accomplished what it was trying to accomplish if it had not been marketed as a, as a rom-com. But- and whether or not that worked for you, whether or not that worked for you is a different question because there's always room in this world to say this movie was not made for me. But I, I do think that looking at the intent of a movie is sort of part of your viewing experience.
0: And I will say this, I did not, I will say this, for me, the betrayal that it made of marketing itself as a rom-com and telling me it was going to be a rom-com underrid, like completely pulled out the rug for me caring about any type of critique it was making. Um, and I think that, um... Yeah, I I, I think that it it doesn't get to both take... It doesn't get to have its cake and eat it, too. Of market itself as something it's not. um, And then try... Like, try to insinuate itself into this genre where it really doesn't belong. Like... Call yourself a dramedy. Like that's what you're doing. You're trying to have some comedic beats, but also tell a deep story. That's it's, I like, think we're
1: gonna have to agree to disagree on this. <laughs> I don't think that's what it's trying to do. I think but
0: <laughs> we have gotten so oh, far we've away. We've gotten so far away. <laughs> well, um yeah, but yeah, I um yeah. But yeah, sorry. I know this is an argument Pete and I have had many times before. Like I, this is an argument. I um, I understand that I uh, that why I understand why there's disagreement. Um. All right. So, what since clearly we did not enjoy Ghost Town, what would we recommend instead, Martha? So I would like to recommend a
1: YA book that is sort of. It has a romantic element in it. It is not a romantic comedy. Mostly, um, it is about dead people and the, uh, you know, unfinished business thereof. Uh, the book I would like to recommend to you is called Croak by Gina Damico. It is a YA book about a girl named Lex, who uh, her parents, in sort of a moment of last desperation, sent her... To spend the summer with her uncle mort uh because she has been having behavioral issues at school uh and this is their like basically um you know go go work with your uncle and he'll put your head back on straight uh it turns out that what her uncle does for a job is uh reap people when they die oh whoa so lex becomes an apprentice uh reaper Ah, uh, to collect souls once people have passed. Um, however, she starts feeling the acute unfairness of people who are murdered or die in a horrible accident, or all of these things that she thinks are unjustified. And so instead of being a reaper, she starts being more of a like vengeance. Figure. So instead of reaping the people who get murdered, she reaps the murderers and, and kind of throws a wrench in the whole uh, life, death, fate system. It has a romantic element to it with a cute boy that she meets in the Reaper compound, but mostly it is about Lex figuring
0: out, you know, who she is, her place in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, cool. Uh, so I'm going to recommend a book that, um, is mostly romance, but has a ghost element, um, called Slow Dance in Purgatory by Amy Harmon. Um, and it is about a 17-year-old girl who suddenly starts seeing a ghost, um, around the school where she is working, um, after hours and they she and the ghost start talking frequently because she's the only one who can see him and talk to him so he wants to talk to her um and they start falling in love um and it's actually it's a duology um there's slow dance in purgatory and then prom night in purgatory um excellent and love (laughs) yep yep and it's got i mean the whole book is a is prom um So it's very fun. Um, And they're really, like, one continuous book. Like, it, they very much blend into each other. Um, But, yeah, it's a fun, like, ghost appearing and, like, to, like, ghost, obviously, having unfinished business, being a ghost, um, and girl, you know, having someone to talk to at, like, a difficult point in her life. Um, And it's a much... Nicer use of ghosts <laughs> to tell a love story.
1: <laughs>
0: Excellent. I'm I'm putting that on my list right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't read anything by Amy Amy Harmon, I strongly recommend it. I think she's kind of like for a while she was one of my like random Kindle romance novelists that I read, but I think now she's actually like really gotten some popularity. Um because I definitely talked to, to patrons a bunch about her um, book, What the Wind Knows. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Strongly recommend Amy Harmon. She's a lot of fun. She, I think you would get a kick out of her older YA stuff. She's kind of moved on from YA um, into more just historical fiction. But her YA stuff is really fun. Sweet. <laughs> So,
1: next episode, we are shifting gears a little bit. We are going to be talking about the Netflix original Enola Holmes starring Millie Bobby Brown and a bunch of other people who are not Millie Bobby Brown. And so I'm <laughs> um, no, it's got Helena Bonham Carter, Henry Cavill, and Sam Claflin, I believe. Um, but we will be back in two weeks uh, with that. Um, if you are missing podcast content until then, you should feel free to check out our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework, which updates on the same podcast feed as this one on alternating Wednesdays. You can find us on social media at podcast. You can find me personally on social media at all the places uh, at Magical Martha, including mm. a... Um, newsletter that i write that has been publishing much more frequently since i started uh compiling a list of the 100 scariest movie moments from 2010 up until now i have just two more issues of that list to submit out into the world uh and you can read that at tinyletter.com backslash magical uh
0: marin where can people find you um folks can find me on twitter at a underscore star underscore danced um where i tweet a lot about uh romance novels and uh the state of minnesota and maps um so if any of those are interesting to you feel free to give me a follow um are we missing anything we get all of our plugs in i think we got all the
1: plugs in fantastic well pete i hope that you have fun editing all of your <laughs> wife's f-bombs <that> she- <laughs> uh, i'm sorry we will see you all in two weeks and until then just remember that we love you
0: See, the problem is, I think, because I am so good at keeping a lid on my cursing at work that, like, once I'm out of work, it just, like, unleashes. (laughs) I actually, I had to work so hard to train myself
1: out of swearing when I worked in youth services that it kind of feels weird now Um. when I do swear. (laughs)